Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Our topic today, once again, revolves around CLINs. This episode is brought to you by BidProtestInsurance.com. Bid Protest Insurance is exactly what it sounds like. Insurance to protect your award from bid protests. Bid protests are nearly impossible to predict. Since bid protests typically cost the apparent winner up to 15% of the contract value, they can be a nearly catastrophic financial event, especially for small businesses. Having insurance against this mitigates that risk. Here's how bid protest insurance works. Go to bidprotestinsurance.com to apply for a free, no-obligation quote. To secure that quote, you simply pay a small fee. If and only if you receive the award, you'll be charged for the agreed-upon premium. There's no cost if you don't win the award. Now, if someone protests your award, you're covered for many of the costs that are created by protest delays. To cover yourself in the event that someone protests your next win, go to bidprotestinsurance.com to get started. Okay, let's get started with this week's episode. We talked about CLINs, contract line item numbers, on an earlier episode called What is a CLIN? And that episode was mostly about the, the structure, how, how CLINs work. And understanding how the CLINs work, that's step one. Step two is applying what we know about the CLINs and the implications of managing them in different ways and organizing them differently. Before we get into that, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week to Olin Newsom. Uh, Olin's a contract specialist at the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. He's in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I want to thank Olin specifically for liking and sharing our podcast content on LinkedIn. And while we share a few groups, one group that Olin is not in is the Contracting Officer podcast group on LinkedIn. So be sure you join. But thanks for sharing our content. Thanks, Olin. All right, back to talking about CLINs. Episode 35 is What is a CLIN? Let's do a quick review of what we talked about there. We're not going to go over the whole What is a CLIN? Again, but CLIN stands for Contract Line Item Number. And that is how deliverables and payments are divided up on a contract. Why use separate lines to do that? First, it's the ease of contract management. If you break the pieces of the the work into individual chunks, they're easier to manage through the contract. And so you have these separate line items depending on what's being done on the contract. Yep, you may have more, you may have less, depending on how you need to manage your contract. And foreshadowing, less is better, but we'll get to that later. Another reason you might use separate line item numbers, separate CLINs, is for cash flow. From the industry side, cash flow is life. Cash flow is very important. If you have one CLIN that lasts a year, you don't want to wait until the end of the year to get paid, or you probably be out of business, right? So for businesses, cash flow is very important. On the government side, cash flow, we don't call it cash flow. It's it's the expenditure rate, right? Government folks are held to certain expenditure rates. You have to spend your money or they take it back. And we've talked about that on other episodes as well. If you have one big clin and you don't expend that money until the end of the year, all along, somebody's looking at that money going, hey, are you going to use that? Because we can use it for other stuff. And people are <laughs> sniffing around your pot of money. So when you break it into individual clins, you can make sure that it's being expent Expended? 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 I don't Expended. think expense is a word, but it's a good try, though. <laughs> Expenditureized? Basically, off the contract, right? right? It's off the contract and to the contractor, which is where it's supposed to end up. 
Another good reason to use separate lines, the, the ultimate reason, is when the FAR says that you have to. And we'll get into FAR time in a minute. Why are we talking about CLINs again? There's a term CLIN proliferation that we mentioned in the What is a CLIN episode. CLIN proliferation is creating additional CLINs for reasons that don't really benefit this contract. There's no actual benefit to the contract. They're created for another reason. And what are those reasons? Well, financial management is the key offender for CLIN proliferation. We talked about that in an episode called What is an Akron Accounting Classification Reference Number? That was episode number 70. In episode 70, we talked about the contract being the foundation of, of the house, for example. The CLINs, which we're talking about now, are the frame. And in the Akrons, that accounting classification reference number is the plumbing and the wiring of how the money moves around. Everything flows around the house to, to keep the metaphor moving. Same rule, though. Simple is better. The more wires you have, the more crossed wires you have, the more complicated things get. And so the simple is better rule applies to the Akrons as well as to the CLINs. Especially if you're making changes to the contract later. Instead of changing one thing, you have to change 100 things if you have tons of CLINs. Let's move on to FAR time. This is FAR Part 4, 4.10, Uniform Use of Line Items. I don't know if I'd spent much time in FAR Part 4. That's no, good for you for researching no. this. 4.1003 is establishing line items. This is what I was talking about before, where if the FAR says you have to do it, this is when you have to do it. 4.1003 says establish separate line items for deliverables that have the following characteristics. Subparagraph A is separately identifiable. So if you have separately identifiable deliverables, you need to establish separate line items for them. For supplies, that separately identifiable has, is going to have its own identification, like a national stock number or an item description or, or like a part number. And then for services, they're separately identifiable if they have one statement of work so or performance work statement. One bucket of work that's being done under the contract, that can be one CLIN. If you have more than one statement of work, now you get CLIN proliferation. <laughs> if you want to read a line of the FAR that is one of the most egregious misuses of the English language, talk about, <laughs> here's a statement that's hard to understand. It says, this is 4.1003A2. Services are separately identifiable if they have no more than one statement of work or performance work statement. It might not sound scary, but when you try to get your brain wrapped around what that really means, very frustrating. But Kevin, I, I think you said it well. Well, no more than one means one, unless there's like a half a deliverable. <laughs> and is it an integer or is it a natural number? I mean, you, okay, next. So if there's half of a statement of work, it's not. So, anyway, hor horrible writing. I hope they clean that, that sentence up at some point. Back to establishing line items. 4.1003B is establish separate line items for deliverables if it has a single unit price or total price. Seems simple enough. C, if it has a single accounting classification citation. In other words, an acron, which right. we talked about a minute ago. Here's the important line. A single deliverable may be funded by multiple accounting classifications when the deliverable effort cannot be otherwise subdivided. So if you have one big effort, you don't need to create separate CLINs, subclins, info CLINs for all of the different accounting classifications. 
You can fund that effort with all the accounting classifications together on one CLIN. Hmm, says that right there in the FAR. I'm not sure he used to say that, though. And we had that couple of contracts that I managed that were used by multiple services. Special Operations Command, we had multiple services. The service that was being provided by the contract was being used by different customers, but it's the same service. So we had different Akron's because we had, I think the record was like 15 different Akron's that supported this one CLIN because it was all the same service, even though the funding was coming from different places. And that is a good way to do it, to keep it simple. The other way, the way that the accounting people might want you to do it, is each one of those should be a standalone CLIN because it's my money. I want my own CLIN. And before you know it, you get into the examples we're talking about in a minute. And that's what we're talking about. And the FAR says, unless they cannot be otherwise subdivided, leave them together. Keep it simple. So you, you'd have a big argument there about whether or not the work can be subdivided since it's for different agencies. Is it one service that everyone's throwing money into the bucket to perform? Or is it that same service distinctly for each agency or office? And you get into the subdivided argument. But that's a good argument to have before performance. And, and to simplify it, let's put on a product. We're buying a radio. It's the same radio everybody uses. Different agencies buy that same radio. You don't need to have an individual CLIN for each service that's buying it. It's the same radio. A lot of times services are the same. It's a training service. It's a network support service. It's the same service. It's just very easy to get hung up in the idea of, oh, well, we have to fund. It's funded separately. Therefore, it needs to be treated separately. And before you know it, you've got 15 CLINs instead of one. The next reason that you'd create a separate line item is D, separate delivery schedule, destination, peer performance, or place performance. It's a good reason to have a separate line item. So if it's delivered at a different time, you can accept it at a different time. If it's delivered to a different place, you might want to have a separate line item for it. And this is key because in section F of the contract is where the deliverables are going to be. And the delivery delivery date you just mentioned, the delivery schedule, it's going to be tied to that CLIN. And if you have It may be the same piece of equipment, but it's being delivered to two different places at two different times. Okay, that's a different CLIN because it's it's got a different delivery date. And that goes back to how the contract is structured, how the acronyms and the the CLINs all flow. The last reason in the FAR to establish a separate line item is 4.1003E, single contract pricing type, meaning fixed price or cost reimbursement. You can't have a single CLIN that is both fixed price deliverables and cost reimbursement deliverables. You got to have those separate. That makes sense. Let's center this in the time zones, in the acquisition time zones and the execution time zones. We cover the acquisition time zones in episode number three and the execution time zones in episode 84. In the acquisition time zones, we're in the market research zone where the draft CLIN structure is being created and shared with industry. And we're in the RFP zone when the final CLIN structure is released to the offerers, to industry, and when offerers are building their proposals against that CLIN structure, doing their pricing against it. In the execution time zones, we're talking about the honeymoon zone. This is the first real chance after the contract has been awarded, if it's a competition, after the contract has been awarded, this is the first real chance to talk about the impact of the CLIN structure on contract execution and a chance to improve it by mutual agreement between the contractor and the government. This is a great opportunity to communicate over what's going to work versus what we thought was going to work. And I had a contract where we spent the first day restructuring some of the CLINs because as it turned out, the funding structure had gotten simpler. One agency was going to be buying it 
So now it was a lot simpler to manage the Akron side of it. I communicated that with a contractor. They don't care what the structure of it is as long as they're going to get paid efficiently. So it was a really easy conversation. But we, if we had that in the honeymoon zone, the contract is going to flow so much smoother. Right. Clean structure also impacts us during the performance zone, the, the, the bulk of the execution time zones there. The performance zone is where an overcomplicated clean structure comes back to bite you. This is where it creates a management nightmare. Yeah, this, this is where... I think the phrase you use is, this is where you get burned. Yeah. Uh, if, if you ignored this problem situation <laughs> for the last four zones, it, yeah, it's going to be a huge time vampire in the performance zone. This, is, this can also trickle into the wrap-up zone when you're closing out a contract. If there's a ton of different cleanse, a lot more work to close it out. Yep, one at a time. Yep. Why is this important? More cleanse equals more contract management work. More deliverables means more acceptance on the government side. The contractor has to individually deliver items. The government has to individually accept those items. And more acceptance process means more invoices. That means more payments. means more individual payments have to be made against each one of those individual CLINs. And then, heaven forbid, you have to change something. If you have to modify something like performance schedule, you have to change all of the CLINs that line up with that individual performance change. So this tends to spiderweb pretty quickly if you're not thinking about it ahead of time. The best advice is to use the minimum number of cleans required to get the job done efficiently. Don't add more for convenience. Only add more if required by regulation or if more cleans can improve the contract management and execution. I like how you mentioned that idea of don't add more for convenience because it might be convenient for you but other people who have to touch the clin, it's probably not going to be convenient for them. So yeah, the, the, the term convenience is probably going to only apply to one person in the chain. And it can get, again, spider webby real fast. On the government side, why does the government care about this? The government has options setting this up and can control their own destiny. If you're acquiring supplies and you need 50 of them, you can set up a clin with a deliverable of one lot of 50 or you can set up 50 individual cleans, one for each item. With 50 invoices and 50 payments. <laughs> even if it's one invoice with 50 cleans on it, that's, <laughs> that's even stressful. It's still a lot of work, right? There's also a middle ground where you can have five lots of 10. The point is, your destiny is in your hands. Find the way that makes the most sense. On services, we'll lay this out so you see how, how easy it is for this to get out of control. Grounds maintenance. That's the service. Maintain the grounds in this facility. You could create a clin for mowing and a clin for mulching, a clin for seeding and fertilizing, because you don't do that as often as you mow, so we have to make an extra clin. Or tree trimming, which you only do that once a month, so therefore it needs an extra clin. And then leaf removal, because it's only done in the fall. See how easy it is to stretch it out into these different clins. Where just call it grounds maintenance. The statement of work is going to say mowing, mulching, seeding, tree trimming, leaf removal. They got to do all of them, and then they get paid accordingly. So it's very easy, and I'm raising my hand because I've done this, where I realize I could subdivide the service, but I don't need to. Keep it simple. How much segregating is really required to manage the effort? Is, is it one job? Is ground maintenance one job, or is it many jobs? Remember, you have to track each CLIN. In the government office, how many people do you have to work this to track each CLIN? And each CLIN has to be invoiced and paid, like you talked about before. Think about the invisible work you're creating. Not work for you, but for other people. Someone on the government side 
has to approve all those invoices and someone on the government side has to pay all those invoices. I like how you called it invisible work because it's invisible to the customer, to the user, to the person who needs the result of the contract. They're not seeing that happen, nor do they really care about it, but it's eating up somebody's time because it doesn't impact the overall benefit to the customer. That's why I like that term, invisible work. If you're buying a software product, and I'm not, I'm not talking a commercial product, but if you're buying a software product that needs to be developed by a contractor, the final product is the final deliverable, oftentimes. If it takes 18 months to develop it, can you wait until the end of 18 months to deliver the final product and pay once for it? Well, you could, but the contractor probably needs the cash flow to pay all those employees, and you probably need the expenditures in order to keep that money. One way that this is often managed is that incremental capabilities become the deliverable. Each software drop is a separate deliverable, and they could be separately priced. They could be separate payments within it. What I'm saying is I've seen software development cleaned out and paid out in many, many different ways. Think about how you set it up, what you're trying to accomplish, and the impacts that it has on running the business on your side, the government side, and the industry side when you're creating the contract structure. And to make this more fun, you could have one CLIN with performance payments or progress payments. So this is a thinking job. You have all kinds of different options. The fact is making this a proliferation of CLINs to solve the problem isn't necessarily gonna be the best way. If you're buying IT services, network management is the requirement, right? Well, inside that, just like with the grounds maintenance, you have pieces of this. You have security, you have web development, you have network administration, you have a help desk. Each one of those is a subtask under network management. And unlike the software development, where there's an issue of we wait till the very end to pay, in this case, it's a service, so it's pay, being paid periodically anyway. But the trick is, don't make this five different cleanse, because all you've done now is create the situation where you're going to pay five cleanse every month instead of just one. If it fits under one statement of work, put it under one clean. If for some reason you need to track how much money is spent on security and web development and help desk separately, the contractor can track those. They can create charge codes that track those so you can pay attention to how much money is going to each task. But you don't need a separate CLIN in order to have them tracked separately. They could still bill them under one CLIN. You could still pay them under one CLIN. That's more efficient. That's why when you came up with the title of this episode, Accounting by CLIN, it's exactly what we're talking about, is to have accounting by CLIN versus having accounting by charge code. And then have the contractor give you a report once a month that says, here's where all the money went. It's the same result. And it's just a whole lot easier for them to run a report out of QuickBooks than it is for you to manage multiple CLINs. From the industry perspective, the CLIN structure that the government creates drives your management costs. We just talked about single CLIN with multiple charge codes. Segregating costs by 100 different charge codes costs a lot more than having a single charge code to track. And your employees only have to know, hey, this is my charge code. They don't have to remember which charge code when. You don't have to fix time cards. You don't have to change things. It's great. If you have separate cleanse for each of those, then fixing the issues, managing it becomes even more difficult because it requires a contract modification to move funding from one to another here or there rather than just having it within a single clin. All of this impacts the tracking and the reporting that the that contractors deliver to the government, like we talked about, impacts the invoicing. And this all flows down to the subcontractors. Every time we add a layer and those 
same steps get passed down to somebody else, we're multiplying those steps, which means that the people who are doing those steps have to add people. They have to have more time. And of course, they're adding more costs and those costs get rolled up to what it costs to manage the contract. All because we have more cleanse than we Great. need. Great. Trickle down, trickle down. Think trickle about down that. cleanse. Going back to contract modifications again, if you modify the contract later and 15 cleanse are involved in that modification, all those cleanse have to be modified and tracked at every layer through the subcontractors as well. Usually you give us our cynical thought for the day, but today I, my, my cynical thought, for giant cost reimbursable contracts, management of the contract, the costs of that management are reimbursable, which means there's no incentive for industry to streamline the contract structure when they can bill for all of the management costs. That That is pretty cynical that, to, to think that a contractor would want you to put a lot more cleanse because then they have to hire more financial management people and more accounting people that they can bill to your contract. So you get a point where the tail's wagging the dog and there's more administration costs than actual value being delivered. If you made that same contract fixed price, the contractor's attitudes about how they want the contract to be structured would change overnight. They would want it really simple because they don't want to spend any more money than they have to on those kind of jobs. Could you break the contract into the, the cost reimbursable performance, but then contract management is fixed price and just have you know, two cleanse? Or would that complicate the crap out of everything else? You certainly could set it up like that. There, there's, a, there's an adage that you don't want fixed price and cost reimbursable on the same contract for the same type of work because then contractors are motivated to do as much work as possible on the cost reimbursable side and as little as possible on the fixed price side because any work they don't do for the fixed price becomes profit. It's the same reason that the uh, the tax preparation folks love a complex tax code. Yeah. If it were simple, we wouldn't need them. <laughs> exactly. Before we get into tax accounting, let's wrap this thing <laughs> That's up. That's not the title of this podcast episode. Organizing the cleanse structure can be as much art as science. You have to kind of make decisions of what's in the best interest of this particular contract. However, when in doubt, less is more. Think about how you can compress the number of cleanse to the smallest amount. The best strategy is to subtract and multiply. Is take the stuff out of the way that's going to make you repeat work, but how many things are repeatable that can go on that same clean and, and be more quickly paid, more quickly managed, more quickly changed throughout the life of the contract. The answer to the question, how many cleans should my contract have, is exactly as many as you need and not any more. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. <laughs> See you, Paul. That's it for today. Don't forget to join us in the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn. And we'll see you next week. Yeah.